Good to have you here this evening. So glad you're here. And we will have a time of extended fellowship afterwards upstairs in the fellowship hall. I think they brought some goodies, and we prayed that they would be calorie-free. <laughs> I don't know that they're sugar-free. Hmm? Yeah. Now we are in Ezekiel chapter 17. In chapter 50, there's, there's actually, they call them three parables, but it's two parables and a riddle. Uh, there's a different word used to describe what is taking place in chapter 17 as opposed to what was taking place in chapters 15 and 16. And so the word here in chapter 17 is a riddle. A riddle is usually a mystery or an enigma that needs to be understood by the author, whoever it is that may have proposed the riddle. Can you think of any other riddles in the Old Testament? Samson. Exactly. The same word, same Hebrew word is used for the riddle here in chapter 17 as Samson's riddle to the Philistines. You remember that? So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. But all of these, all three chapters, 15, 16, 17, deal with a judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. And we saw that in chapter 15, Israel was the vine, the vine, the vine that would be judged. Jerusalem, Israel, Judah, the vine. In chapter 16, she was the harlot, the adulterous wife. But how did, how did 16 end? The atonement. That God would offer these people who don't deserve it, not for a moment, atonement. Aren't we glad? Does he, he has offered us forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. When not for a moment, not for, a, uh, for any reason whatsoever would we deserve to receive his grace and his mercy. And if you would, turn off your cell phones. Thank you for reminding me, Mike. I appreciate that. He's always on time. You know, what a timely thing, you know. But chapter 17 now, we're going to be dealing with two eagles and a vine. The eagles represent two nations. The vine represents Israel, of course, of course. And as I've said to you before, whenever something is mentioned in a figurative sense, whatever it might be, it'll maintain that figurative meaning throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. So we're going to look at this. Let's pray one more time. Lord, there's some things for us to glean here for certain, Lord. And although it uh, is directed very specifically at the kings of Judah, Jehoiachin, Nebuchadnezzar, it's directed very specifically at Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom. But Lord, we, we can see how you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And we have been that vine that had become rotten, Lord, and is worthy of the flames. We as a nation have become that adulterous wife when you've done so much for us, Lord, beyond anything I could ever imagine when you birthed this nation and blessed us. But now how we have turned from you, Lord. And Lord, our leaders, oh, the insanity of today, Lord. There's no other way to explain it than, than the spiritual deception, the demonic influence that is raging throughout our land now, and among our leadership, whether it's religion, Christendom, whether it's business and these high-tech leaders and others, and whether it's the government, Lord, it's, there's just insanity prevailing today. 
But we recognize, Lord, that you've allowed all of this because long ago we've turned from you, as did Jerusalem and Judah. Lord, as we sang tonight, as Pastor David was leading us, Lord, let us turn our hearts back to you, Lord. Allow you to draw us closer and closer in our relationship with you, where our light can so shine in this darkness, Lord, where we can be that salt of the earth, to excite an appetite, to bring about a thirst for you, Lord. So work within us tonight, Lord, as we go through this text, Lord, to just speak to each of us, Lord in a way that only your Holy Spirit can, Lord. And Lord, whatever we have come in here with this evening, Lord, whatever cares, concerns, whatever situations have arisen, or whatever distressing knowledge has come about, Lord, we just pray that for your peace that David sang about tonight, Lord, that peace with you, of you, in you, that shalom that only you can give us, Lord, So right now, quiet our minds, settle our hearts, Lord, calm our souls. Help us to just focus on you now and your great love for us. In your holy name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Chapter 17, verse 1, the eagles and the vine. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, pose a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel and say, thus says the Lord God, A great eagle with large wings and long pinions, claws full of feathers of various colors, came to Lebanon and took from the cedar the highest branch. Now we're going to see that as we move forward into the chapter in verses 11 and 12, he interprets exactly what this is. The great eagle is Nebuchadnezzar. And Lebanon is Jerusalem. And cropping off the uppermost twig is the king of Jerusalem at this time, and this would be the year 597 B.C. Remember that the conquest of Judah and Jerusalem by the Babylonians began in the year 605. 605. And during that first uh, captivity or deportation of the people who was carried away? Daniel. Daniel. Now, this is 597. This is the second deportation of the people. Nebuchadnezzar is being somewhat gracious in that he's not destroying the city completely, nor the people. He's going to allow them to govern, but he's going to set up a government that is favorable towards him, and they will pay tribute to the Babylonians and recognize that they are reigning over them. And this is 597. So who's going to be carried away at this time? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And Ahoyachin is the king. Ahoyachin is the king right now, the son of Josiah, as it goes forward in the Davidic line. He's going to be carried away into captivity. And he submitted to what God was doing. He understood through the prophet Jeremiah that God was allowing this. And so he submits to what is happening. And he's going to die of old age there in Babylon. But the man that Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up as king after Jehoiachin, what was his name? Zedekiah, Zedekiah. Zedekiah is going to make a covenant or an oath with the king. And more specifically, unlike Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin submitted to what God was doing because he recognized through the prophet's prophecy that this was God. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't the Babylonians, it was God bringing about this judgment. And so he submitted to the same. But Zedekiah is not going to do that. Now, when Zedekiah is taken from the throne, 
That begins the period of the time of the Gentiles. How many were here Sunday morning? Okay, a couple of you. All right. Sunday morning, we went through the various aspects or the kingdom program of God, whether you call it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth. Remember, in Matthew's gospel, over 30 times, he declares it's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, did I say earth, kingdom of earth? No, it's kingdom of God. And, and in Luke's gospel and in Mark's gospel, it's called the kingdom of God. And we understand why Matthew referred to it as the kingdom of heaven, why they referred to it as the kingdom of God. What was the reason? Yeah, that's right. Jewish sensibilities. The Jews would never mention the name of God. Even when they refer to God, they never mention his name. They just say Hashem, the name, the name. And that's why Matthew, writing to the Jews, would say the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all the same, talking about the same kingdom. But we know that the kingdom of God program has five facets to it, right? We talked about that on Sunday. This Sunday, we won't be back into that understanding. But this Sunday is what? What is it? There you go. See, he would know. And Christy, you know too, right? Sanctity of Life Sunday. We have a special speaker coming to uh, address for us what the Piedmont Women's Center is doing. And I'm going to give a short message <laughs> uh, relative to what is taking place in our nation today with this abomination of abortion. But the following week, we'll get back into it. But last Sunday, we talked about the first four aspects of this Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven program. And we said the first kingdom described for you was which? Universal, universal Kingdom. It's an eternal universal. Eternal because it's timeless. He, he reigns of all, at all time. God is sovereign. Right? He reigns at all time in, in eternity past, in eternity future. God reigns. And he reigns everywhere. It's universal. Everywhere. Is there any place where, uh, any place that can exist where God is not? No. Having a conversation with someone about the restrainer who's restraining the Antichrist from coming forward right now. And he's in a good church, sound teaching church, but his pastor believes that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. How can that possibly be? It can't, can it? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent. Read Psalm 139. He is everywhere. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all are the, the manifestation of God in the three aspects of God, but all carrying all of the attributes of God, right? One and the same. So the restrainer is the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. And so when the church is... Can you imagine we're here now and how much are we restraining evil? We're not being too successful, are we? No, 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 no. We're under God's judgment. We are a pagan culture now. Make no mistake about that. We're, we're a very uh, religious pagan culture, but we're a pagan culture, much like the ancient world, you know. And what should have been governing us and restraining evil in our culture would have been the understanding of right and wrong just innate within us. You know, I mean, any human being would know it's wrong to murder children. Any human being would know it's wrong to murder babies. Or for women to want to have intimacy with women, for men with men, uh, adults with children... Uh, 
Anybody would realize murder of innocent people. Anybody would realize. But that, that restraint is gone today, isn't it? I was speaking to someone the other day and uh, said, do you remember the wonderful, remember on Sunday nights when we used to watch television? You remember some of the programs that were on then, Ed? The wonderful world of Disney. And then the Cartwright boys, they would march into your living room, ride in Bonanza, right? But America was such a wild kingdom. Jim, look at Jim, run from that garage. <laughs> Poor Jim, he was... <laughs> but but when, you watched, when you watched the wonderful world of Disney, it's not such a wonderful world, is it? No, no. Appreciate what Governor DeSantis is doing. But, but the wonderful world of Disney is nothing like. And the United States is nothing like. But at, at the end of every program, what did the little cricket say? Now, he could say that. He could say that very comfortably to the nation, right, to the culture. Why? Because what was informing everybody's conscience? What was that restrainer? It was, just wasn't the knowledge of, of good and evil that is innate within you, but what was the restrainer? The Judeo-Christian philosophy of life. Understand, we were a Christian nation to, to a great degree. And so we all had a common understanding of Judeo-Christian law and right, because all of our laws were established to really enforce the Decalogue or God's law. And so it was a restrainer. Oh, boy. That restrainer's not there any longer, is it? What happened? I think it was uh, Minnesota, the Mall of America, just the other day. What happened? Told who? There was a man with a, with a T-shirt on that declared the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he wasn't witnessing. No, he said Jesus is the only way. Yeah, yeah. Declaring the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We had a situation today with it. But, but nonetheless, he, and he wasn't out there witnessing. He wasn't in anybody's face, you know. He was just wearing the T-shirt, and they told him he had to leave the mall or remove the T-shirt. I'm sorry? Offensive. Jesus is offensive. The true gospel is offensive. If you're going to teach the word of God correctly, it is very offensive. Do you not find the word of God offensive to your flesh? If you don't, you're not reading it correctly. You're not understanding it the way you should, right? Mm. But all of those, and I'm getting back to all of those restraints, whether it was the common knowledge intuitive within everyone, Judeo-Christian philosophy of life, whether it was, was parental guidance, whether it was the fact that most people in the United States of America went where on a Sunday? Church. church. But most churches taught the truth, taught the word of God at that time. Today, you have no idea what you're going to be taught. You have no idea what you're going to walk into besides a concert. You know, but nothing of any value in the transformation of your life will take place. And that's why all those restraints have been removed. Now, that's what happened in ancient Israel. All those restraints that God was brought into his people, they were all removed now. They're, they're acting no different. And as a matter of fact, they were a bit worse than the pagans around them. In last week's lesson, the adulterous wife, the Philistines are shocked and embarrassed, ashamed of the way that Jerusalem was acting. Hmm. Who's this Russian hockey player? What's it, what's, you, know the, you know the news lately about this Russian hockey player? He's, he's, he's from Russia, 
And he's playing hockey here in the National Hockey League. But they were having a gay pride event. And the hockey sticks were all decorated with a, the rainbow flag. And he said, I can't participate. I'm, I'm Russian Orthodox. And this is my belief. And, and I'm very strong in my belief and what I believe about my God and what my God's word says. And I, I can't participate. Oh, boy, the backlash he's getting as a result of that. All that, all that testifies to all of us more and more is what a pagan culture we have become, where he would be attacked. And then like in chapter 16, where the Philistines were embarrassed and, and, and criticizing Jerusalem for how bad they were, now we have the Russians telling us we're no longer moral people. Putin giving Biden a lesson in morality. I mean, wow, how crazy is it getting? Hmm? What goes around comes around. What do we learn from history? Nothing from history. Continually repeats itself. So, so please make no mistake as you're, as you're listening to the news, seeing what's going on out here with your own eyes, hearing with your own ears, the only way to discern it is that we are now in a pagan, fallen culture. We're not post-Christian. We're no longer a Christian nation. You understand that? That's what's happened to us. That's what happened to Israel of old. And God had to judge. Hmm? So Nebuchadnezzar is this great eagle with the large pinions, and he takes Jehoiachin in 597, carries him to captivity in Babylon. He puts Zedekiah in his place. Zedekiah will be the last king. And we talked about the universal kingdom. The second kingdom we talked about was the spiritual, spiritual kingdom. Who comprises the spiritual kingdom? Everyone who's experienced a born-again experience, regeneration through the person of the Holy Spirit, Old Testament, New Testament. But then we said there was a third kingdom, and that is what we're speaking of tonight. That third kingdom was the theocratic, theocratic kingdom. The theocratic kingdom was expressed in two different ways. You remember what they were? I'm sorry? No, no, no. That's, that's a mystery kingdom. That's, that's, that's a kingdom. This is the God reigns in Israel. It's a theocracy, okay? The theocratic kingdom is a theocracy. He reigns in that theocracy through his delegated representatives, right? And in this case, in the very beginning, it was Moses, right? Joshua, the judges. The last judges was Samuel. He was the last judge. He was the first prophet. And then Samuel was instructed by God to begin the realm of the monarchy or the kings of Israel. So the theocracy was governed by his representatives, right? Mediatorial representatives, first beginning with Moses, ending with Samuel. But then the theocratic kingdom of God, Israel specific, it's the only nation that's ever been a theocracy, begins to be reigned by a monarchy. The monarchical kingdom begins with the first king, ends with the last king, Zedekiah. And that ends, that'll end the theocratic kingdom of God and begin what we call the times of the Gentiles. Times of the Gentiles begin with the conquest of Judah by Babylon. When does the time of the Gentiles end? At the rapture of the church. Towards the end of the time of the Gentiles is a dispensation that God has ordained and he calls that what? The church age. Church age, that's what we're in right now, the church age, okay? And that we call, what kingdom? mystery kingdom. One word used to describe this mystery kingdom because it's made up of believers and 
make believers. It's made up of the true gospel and a false gospel. True doctrine, false doctrine. And one word describes this kingdom, what is it? Christian. You don't get it yet. How long have I been with you? <laughs> the one word that describes that kingdom, the mystery kingdom that exists today, that Jesus laid out for us in Matthew 13, and you can go back and listen to the tape, is Christendom. But we know the true spiritual kingdom comprised and manifested on earth today is the body of Christ. Please understand the body of Christ, not Christendom. Hmm? Well, this, this section here is the end of the theocratic kingdom and the monarchy, and it's going to begin the times of the Gentiles. That's what we're talking about. So in verse 4, he cropped off its topmost young twig, carried it to the land of trade. The land of trade is Babylon or Chaldea. The young twig at the top is Jehoiachin. And he set it in the city of merchants. That's Babylon. Verse 5, he took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile field and placed it in abundant waters. And he set it like a willow tree and it grew and became a spreading vine low in stature. Its branches turned towards him, towards the king Nebuchadnezzar, but its roots were under it so that it became a vine, brought forth branches put, and put forth shoots. Who's this? He's not as strong as the first king. He's the younger. It's Zedekiah. Zedekiah's army was devastated by the Babylonians in that second siege in 506. So he really couldn't fight back. The mighty men that weren't carried into captivity were slaughtered or they fled. Okay? So there's no way for him to resist Babylon. And he needed to submit to not just the king Nebuchadnezzar, but he needed to submit to what God was doing. It's going to be, listen, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very, very difficult for a lot of people to submit to what God's going to be doing in this nation. They're more patriotic and they're more conservative than they are Christian and aligned with Christ and his kingdom. They're more aligned with that kingdom than they are that kingdom. The religious right, it's not a spiritual movement. It's a social and fiscal, conservative movement, political, but it's not spiritual and not in any way. And I just want to encourage you, don't be swept up in what may take place. And our weapons are not, our weapons are not, so don't get the idea you're going to fight your way out of this. You're not. Don't let anybody get you caught up in that. that many of the patriots and the conservatives of Jerusalem of old, that's what they thought. And there was a wholesale slaughter of these people who were fighting against, resisting what God was doing. Do we not need to be judged by God? Would that judgment not bring, hopefully, an awakening to the slumbering, sleeping church? To those who really don't know him? No, 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 no. We, 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 listen, our whoredom has been a result of our prosperity. And our pleasure, the blessings we've received, like Israel of old. But I don't want you to, I don't want you to be taken uh, off guard and misunderstand that we may have to experience and watch some very, very hard things take place in this nation. 
We are ripe for God's judgment. There is no doubt about that. When, when we used to have uh, policemen and firemen and, and good, solid citizens of the nation go before our children in story hours and there's classrooms and in the libraries of the public. But now what do we... It's, it's disgusting how sick we have become and the only way to understand it is to be given over like Israel of old. So to us today... Verse 6, and it grew and became a spreading vine, a low, a low in stature, though it didn't have the, the strength of the former. Branches turned towards him, towards uh, Nebuchadnezzar for a time. Its roots were under, and there came a vine, put forth its branches, its shoots. Verse 7, but there was another great eagle with large wings, many feathers, and behold, this vine bent its roots towards him. What eagle is this? Egypt, and we're gonna, it's all going to be explained for us. It's, it is a riddle. It would be very hard for you to understand otherwise. I'm so thankful that God gives us the explanation. What happened was Zedekiah thought he was a smarty, you know. He was going to outsmart Babylon. He was going to enter into a confederation with the European Union. Uh, no, no, no. He meant the Egypt, the Egyptians. He was going to enter into a confederation with the Egyptians. It was going to save them from the Babylonians, and they were going to lean upon the Egyptian army to protect them, to save them. Who, who, who are they resisting? Who were they really fighting against? God. God, not Babylon. You're, you're, listen, you've got to encourage everybody you know who really knows the Lord that, that, that they need to lean on the Lord more than ever before to gain spiritual discernment in what is happening. How many, pe how many people were fooled and beguiled by what happened that Monday night on the football field? How many people were beguiled and fooled when 911, when all of a sudden at the Capitol, everybody's singing, God bless them? Listen, you, you're going to you're gonna have to be more discerning than ever before, and the only way you're going to gain any real discernment is by keeping your face in the book. Stay out of Facebook. <sighs> all these people that suddenly have been given a word from the Lord. Wow. And they're all over YouTube. Don't waste your time. God has given us his word. It's right here. It's not through these Christian mystics. And the word is not the word of the Lord. You can quickly discern. If you know the word of God, you can immediately realize, hmm, that's not my father's voice. That doesn't align up with his word. So, beloved, be very, very, very careful. Why don't you try to avoid Facebook and put your face in the book? Because that's where discernment comes from. You'll be as wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Behold, it's vine bent. This is 7b. It roots towards him, towards the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, and stretched out its branches towards him from the garden terrace where it had been planted, that he might water it. Verse 8, it was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and became a majestic vine. In verse 15, you can see the interpretation of that as they're leaning towards the king, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt to protect them. Verse 9, say, thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he indeed pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? 
All of its off, its spring leaves will, it, will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? Mm. It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. Which, who's the east wind? Babylon. Babylon. The east wind is going to come. He's going to tear up that vine. He's going to tear it up by the roots. Why? Because they've broken the covenant. They've broken the oath. They've broken the treaty, the agreement that they made. They sought help and refuge from the Egyptians. And the Babylonians are going to come in with fury. And God has allowed this. I have no idea what God's going to allow. But I know it's going to shock me to see what God's going to allow to happen. The United Nations delegate recently gave uh, congratulations and thanks to who? Hezbollah. The leader of Hezbollah, which we declared as a terrorist state, the United Nations is cozying up to. And Israel highly offended in protesting. And this week, once again, once again, the United Nations gathers together to enact resolutions against who? Israel. Unbelievable, isn't it? Where does that anti-Semitic attitude come from? Satan. That's right. Started all the way, started all the way back in Egypt. Mm, amazing. Amazing. Verse 11 now, we begin to get an understanding or an explanation of this riddle as I've been sharing it with you. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, say now to the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? Tell them indeed the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. Who did he take? Jehoiachin. He took Jehoiachin and his governance and he carried them captive to Babylon. Jehoiachin surrendered. He understood this was God's will. And so he was safe. And God told him that through the prophet. If you will submit, if you will yield yourself to the king of Babylon who's coming, then it'll be well with you. If you resist, you'll die. And the city will be destroyed. Well, Zedekiah does just the opposite. And what happens? Well, we know what happened. And the city was destroyed. Say now to the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem. He took its king, its princes, led them with him to Babylon. He took the king's offspring, made a covenant with him, and put him under an oath. He also took away the mighty of the land. So who was the king's offspring that he made an oath with? Zedekiah of the line of David. David, the Davidic dynasty. Verse 14, that the kingdom might be brought low and not lifted itself up, but that by keeping this covenant, it might stand. So what is he saying there? If you'll submit to Nebuchadnezzar and the terms that he brings you, you'll live. And the city will survive. But if you don't, you will be destroyed in the city with, it, with you. So look what it says there. Verse 15, but he rebelled. Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt that he might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? Now, you need to understand something. Zedek, um, Ezekiel is prophesying this three years before it happens. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen three years before it happens. But which of the prophets did they listen to? None. None. 
Why, why is it that, that the preachers today in our nation who really are truly speaking truth are the most hated? By Christian dumb. Isn't that interesting? And you need to understand that. The majority is always wrong. Wrong. Because they make those decisions based upon how they feel rather than what they know to be true. You know. As I live, verse 16 says, the Lord, surely in the place where the king dwells, who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. Is that true? Yeah. Now, what happened to Zedekiah? And you can read that in First Kings and uh, the Record of the Kings and Chronicles, the history of Israel, that when Nebuchadnezzar came in 588, just before the complete destruction of the nation and the temple, 586, that took place. But in 588, he comes in, and what does he do to Zedekiah? He, he brings him out where he establishes a temporary throne there in the land of Israel, brings him before him, but before he does anything to Zedekiah, he marches all of his sons before him. And what does he do to his sons? He slaughters them right there. Can you imagine the last thing you would ever see is your children being slaughtered right in front of you? And then what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He took his eyes out. And he would never see again. And then he carried them 600 miles to Babylon. And that's where he died. Terrible, terrible suffering. Why? Because he didn't submit to Babylon. Why? Because he didn't submit to who? God. God. And he wasn't the only one that suffered terribly. Who else suffered terribly? All of Jerusalem. All of Judah. Listen, listen, it's not just our leaders who are going to suffer terribly, but it's all the people who put them on. Our leadership in this nation is simply a manifestation of who we are. Do you understand that? You get what you deserve. When you read Isaiah chapters 4, chapters 5, he, he says one of the judgments of God, he gives you exactly what you want. Ungodly, horrible leadership in the church, or well, in religion, in business, in government, and then he says, fine, this is what you wanted. How's it working out for you? That's what happened here. That's what's going to happen again. Do you understand this? And I, listen, I don't take any pleasure in being a prophet of doom, okay? But I know better days are coming. It could be this year. Maybe the better sheath prophecy is true. I, I, you know, I, I, I've been telling you for some time now. I believe it's very, very, very close. Do you? Do you? Really? And then it changes our life, doesn't it? When, when, when you lay awake at night, what do you think about? I think about his coming. I think about how glorious it's going to be. I think about being together with everyone we love. Yesterday, I would have had 53 years with Roberta, wouldn't it? Yesterday was our anniversary. One day we'll celebrate it together. You, me, her, Gus, huh? Want to be wonderful? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine being reunited with everyone that we love who's been separated from us now? Mm. No, no, no. It's not doom and gloom for you and I, is it? No, no, no. It, Amos would say, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Oh, you request the day of the Lord. And he talked to this nation now, and he says, don't you know what the day of the Lord is going to be to you? Why? Because they were playing games with their spirituality. They were Jews in name only. 
They were not God's people the way they should have been. But they thought they were. They were living a life of spiritual deception, believing they had spiritual security when they had none whatsoever because they had no relationship with God. How do I know that I have a relationship with God? How do I know God's truly at work in my life? The transformation. I'm going to bear fruit. I can't help but bear fruit. You can't help. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you can't help but bear good fruit. He does it. You don't. You understand that? My sanctification is a result of my justification. Being saved, being justified, it means it gives me every assurance I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to be transformed. My life is going to become more and more Christ-like. Isn't that true? Can you say amen to that? Now, if that's not happening, there's no reason for you to believe salvation occurred. But with that sanctification gives me every assurance of what? My ultimate glorification. That when he comes, he's coming for me. Do you know he's coming for you? And, and can those closest to you say, you know, I, I, just, I just see Jesus being formed in you more and more. Sanctification is simply allowing Christ to live his life in you. I don't live my life anymore. My life is now hidden in Christ. Right? I no longer live but I live by faith in the Son of Man who saved me and gave his life for me. You see, that, that's how you know. Not by what people say, but how they live their life. Who are you really devoted to? What's the master passion of your life? When you dream, what are your dreams? Your heart's desires, what are they truly? Do they line up with God's desires? Hmm. Well, Israel was so far from God in their hearts, so far from God in their lives, so far from God in their minds. Verse 17, nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army, his great company, do anything in the war when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall and cut off many peoples. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do in 588 and, and complete in 586 when he comes in. And there's nothing Pharaoh can do. There's nothing Pharaoh's army can do about it. Since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant and in fact gave his hand and still did all these things, he shall not escape. Now, remember that Zedekiah tried to sneak out in the middle of the night with a few of his imperial guard, <laughs> special ops guys. And what happened? They all got caught. He couldn't sneak out. But what a coward. What a coward. Hmm. What happened in Afghanistan when we pulled out? What a coward. What a coward. The president that we put in place snuck out before we finally gave it over, with millions and millions of dollars, U.S. dollars. Hmm. Don't make any mistake. Mr. Zelensky and his wife and his entourage are doing the same thing today. They have millions of our tax dollars squirreled away for when he makes his escape. He has cooperated with the, with the United States and the Europeans to, to the, for the destruction of his own nation to enrich himself. Do you understand that? That's really what's going on. But most people don't discern that. Most people don't understand that. Think he's some kind of a hero. No hero at all. I will spread my net over him. This is God speaking now. Well, let's go back to 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath, which he despised. Whose oath? God's oath. My covenant, which he broke. Whose covenant? Hmm. I will recompense on his own head. What if, 
What if God decides to use the Chinese? What if he uses the Chinese to discipline us? He already is. It's just not militarily yet. He already is economically. Who controls Hollywood? China. Who controls the news media today? China. You have no idea how much the yen has purchased, right? And, and, and are you going to accept what God allows? Isn't it better to give your life for the gospel than for a rotten nation that's dying? The true patriots, the true children of God were those who understood and discerned what God was doing and tried to rescue them spiritually because it was all over. Is the judgment inevitable? Yes. Is it escapable? And that's what we need to tell people. You're not going to escape it by taking up arms. Israel didn't. But you will escape it by repentance, by confession, by surrendering your life to Christ, admitting your shortcomings, admitting, I was playing games with you, Lord. I was taking all that you offered me for granted, Lord, and now I'm so sorry. Please work within me. Set me ablaze. Set me on fire for you and for your word. Let me be a last day's light. Do you, do you know it's going to be the church's finest hour? Do you understand that? I'm looking forward to it. Reverend Martin Rinkart. Rinkart. Do you know who Rinkart was? No? He was the pastor who during the plague in Europe, in Saxony in particular, ravaging, he was the one trying to help people open their eyes and recognize there is an eternal, a eternal, universal, spiritual kingdom that they can enter into. The pastor on the Titanic, his name was Harper, John Harper. It was there. I knew it was there. It just took me a minute to get it. Yeah, I had to find that file. Yeah. Who was John Harper? Pastor Harper. He was a Baptist minister who was leading hundreds of men on the Titanic that night into salvation, into the arms of the Lord, into heaven. As the ship was going down, he said, we are going to go up. Would you like to come with me? Do you know that's going to be our finest hour? This Titanic is going to sink. Who can destroy America? We are the mightiest power on earth, economically, militarily. Who can destroy America? You hear all of this bravado. God himself couldn't sink this ship. Right? You know what opportunities we're going to have? Yeah, we may suffer, sure. You know, John Harper recognized it was his last hours. He was going to drown in that cold Atlantic Ocean. I can't imagine what it must be like to drown, the horror. But he had no fear. That momentary light affliction, not to be compared to the eternal weight of glory, right? And so he, he began to speak the truth, not fearing for his own life, but fearing for the loss of souls. And then, listen, we're going to have that opportunity. Wouldn't that be glorious? Yeah. Hmm. And maybe I'm wrong. 
I don't think so. But maybe I'm wrong. I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and try him there for the treason which he committed against me. Is this nation not treasonous? Are we not a treasonous nation? All his fugitives with all his troops shall fall by the sword, and those who remain shall be scattered to, the, to every wind, and you shall know that I, I the Lord, have spoken. Now he's going to move from the end of this theocratic kingdom and beginning the time of the Gentiles. Now he's going to go way out to the end of the time of the Gentiles, to the end of the mystery kingdom. To which kingdom? The messianic millennial kingdom. Messianic because it's led by Jesus. Jesus himself is coming to reign on earth. David will co-reign with Jesus in Jerusalem. you understand that? The Bible prophesies it. I believe it. So David himself will reign with Jesus during that messianic millennial reign, that 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. Where do we find that? Revelation where? 20. Revelation 20. Six times. Six times in Revelation 20 he says, a thousand years, 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 a thousand years. What do you think he meant? Hmm. These crazy biblical critics. You know, that's what, the, oh, well, what do you really, you really think he meant? I mean, how many times does he need to say it? It's a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. It's the messianic millennial reign. The next time we're together on Sunday, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we'll get into that aspect of the kingdom program of God. We'll give a review of the first four, and we'll get into that. This is what he's prophesying now. He goes way out to the end of time. Why? Because God determines all of human history by the way in which he's doing what? Working with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And we know that from where? The Bible. The Bible. Romans would be a good place to go, but more specifically, Daniel chapter 9 lays out the whole program. The whole program for all of human history from that point on, from this point. The end of the theocratic kingdom all the way to the very end. But he said there's a gap. Daniel 9, verse 26, if my memory is correct, between 26 and 27, there's a gap in time. How many years? 2,000 years. What might that be? The church age. And then at the end of 26, he picks up his program with Israel once again in verse 27. This is precisely what, listen, this is the beginning of the time. This is, there's harmony in all of the Bible. It's amazing how it harmonizes, isn't it? You just got to do some digging. You got to dig a little deeper, dig a little deeper, dig a little deeper. But here, right here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel's prophecy, this riddle with regard to the eagles, he's talking about the end of the monarchy or the theocratic kingdom of Israel, and he, and he jumps way out to the end of the times of the Gentiles, which this began, all the way out to the end of the dispensation called the church age, and the way he's going to work. Listen, Israel, I have not forsaken you. I am amazed at the people who have embraced replacement theology today, and particularly Baptists. So much of the Baptist church are becoming anti-Semitic. Why? Because of the pushback they get from the world. Does the world determine what we believe? Or does God in his, in his word determine what we believe? 
Oh, but they don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't, you know, don't want to be declared homophobic or you know, all those other labels they put upon you. Weren't you talking to me today about how uh, in World War II that England and the United States, we were all very well aware of what was happening to the Jews? You know, there, there were some in our military that wanted to bomb the railroad yards that were bringing these, these railroad cars full of Jews to the concentration camps to stop some of the slaughter. Oh, those weren't convenient targets. The reason why we allowed a state of Israel to exist in 1948 it was because of our guilt. That's the only reason why. We made the decision to sacrifice Jewish blood for European interests. What's changed? We come into the modern era. What's changed? And, and then shortly after, we find out that the country of Saudi Arabia, the kingdom, the kingdom of Saudi, Saudi Arabia, has the largest oil fields in the world. And then we make the decision for the sake of Arab oil. We do what? We sacrifice Jewish blood. How do we do that? Allowing terrorists. Trying to, trying to convince Israel that they need to negotiate with terrorists. And even to this very day, we're trying to convince Israel that they need to give half of Jerusalem, half of the nation, to a terrorist organization. How are we trying to, why and what in the world are we trying to negotiate with Iran? Iran has one purpose now in their nuclear program. The genocide of the Jewish people. We have sacrificed Jewish blood by the thousands of gallons for the sake of Arab oil. Just, just as we did prior to World War II for the sake of European interests. You understand that? They mean nothing to us. And let me tell you something. To the elites in this nation, you mean nothing to them. You don't mean any more to them than the Jews do. You understand that? We, we, we get Russia to release this, this you know, and we leave a soldier, a citizen, a hero, a patriot in jail. What is this insanity? Hmm? But here, the promise. The promise of the messianic millennial kingdom. Thus says the Lord God, I will also take one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twig a tender one and will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. What's he talking about? Jesus. And where did he plant that twig? Mount Calvary. Moriah. The savior of the world. Wow, the Messiah. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell the birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, they will dwell. <coughs> All of the blessing that's going to come when the Messiah begins to reign. And why does Jesus have the right to reign? Revelation chapter 4, we see him who sits upon the throne and the scroll was in his hand, which is the title deed to the earth, and no one was worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And I cried convulsively. That's what John said. I'm weeping and I'm crying uncontrollably because no one is found worthy to take the scroll and to loose its seals. And what happened? And then I saw one as a lamb who had been slaughtered. Do you know that's how we're going to see him, I believe? I, my personal belief is that the first time we see Jesus, we're going to see him 
all disfigured, mutilated, beaten for our sake. Not for long, but that's what John saw the first time he saw him. And then Jesus had the right to take the kingdom, the scroll, the title deed to the earth, right? Lothranos, he rules, right? And, and then, listen, that's what we're talking about here. When he takes the title deed to the earth and he reigns over all the earth, that messianic millennial kingdom, this is what's being promised here. He's that highest twig that God planted. And look what it says here. Verse 24, and we're going to end. And all the trees of the field shall know. What are the trees of the field? The nations. That's right, the nations. The other na all the nations of the world will know. What? What are they going to know? That, that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree, and made a dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. The promise of the the messianic millennial kingdom which leads into a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness reigns forever and ever and ever. Whew. Hallelujah. So, so listen, don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. Listen, did, did, did the Jews have every right to be discouraged and distressed when they looked around what was happening? Yes. What did Corey Ten Boom say? Over and over and over, she's in the concentration camp. Her parents were murdered. She saw her, her sisters raped and murdered. What did she say? She said, look without, become distressed. Ah, look within. What happens when you look within? You become depressed. But she said, look to Jesus and find. Hallelujah. That's precisely what God was doing. The righteous, the righteous in Israel. What's the word for righteous? Did you get my notes from Sunday? Zadik, Zadik. What's Zadik? T-Z-A-D-I-K. Zadik, what is Zadik? The righteous ones. The righteous ones. Now, he's speaking to the righteous ones. Right now, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Zadik, the righteous ones. I... I it's frustrating trying to convince people who say they're Christians, but it's obvious they're not, of the truth. Isn't it frustrating trying to wake people up? You know, you want to grab them by the shoulders and just shake them. But he's the only one that can do that. The only one. Hmm. Take courage, beloved. Be encouraged. Just as God was encouraging the righteous ones then, on what was going to take place in the future. Don't worry about the immediate. Look without, become distressed, look within, become depressed, but look to Jesus and find your shalom. It's going to get that way. Don't tell me you're not distressed when you look without. Don't tell me you're not distressed when you listen to Fox News, a Catholic station. You know? No, that's what it is. Don't believe Hannity. Don't believe, they're, not, they're not evangelicals. Oh, Hannity's so full of himself, he pumps his chest every day, doesn't he? No, it's true, it's true. But, you know, you got to get your news from somewhere. How about Israel 7? Anybody tuning in to Israel 7 lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. Hmm. But the commentary on our nightly news is right here. Yeah, listen, you don't have to look any further. 
The more you're in the Word of God, the more you understand the Word of God, the more you discern the Word of God, the more it is so obvious, of course, of course, of course, that's what's happening. Yes. Isn't it wonderful? Father told us all in advance. All right, I'm done. Pastor Dave, you got a closing song, and then we're going to go upstairs and have some carrots. <laughs>